Let's hear God's word from the book of Ruth, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Amen. We'll end our reading there at the end of Ruth chapter 2. Let's once again ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we look to you today now to help us as we come again to this portion of your word. May more of its riches, may more of its depth be unveiled to our hearts. And Lord, we pray this not just in the sense of understanding, but also in the sense of appreciating, in the sense of believing, in the sense of receiving this as the word of God brought to our hearts with power by the Holy Spirit. May it work in us that which is well-pleasing in your sight. 
that which is glorifying to our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You remember, of course, the story of the book of Ruth and how it's built on a backdrop of tragedy and loss. Naomi and her family moved to Moab because of famine, because of hunger, because of emptiness. In Moab, Naomi's husband and her two sons die. And so she sets out to return to Bethlehem, destitute, widowed, her children dead, and she expects to come back alone. But there's a surprise. One of her two daughters-in-law, Ruth, will not leave her. Ruth clings to her. Ruth follows her. And when they get back to Bethlehem, Ruth takes up the responsibility of providing for the small household of two women. She goes out to do the work of a pauper. You didn't have to own anything to glean. I'm sure it would be helpful if you had a basket or a piece of cloth or something like that. But you didn't have to own any property. You didn't have to have land. You just had to find a field where people were at work and, according to the laws of Israel, follow behind them, gathering up what slipped out of their harvesting efforts. And so Ruth, with this humble attitude, with this serving attitude, with this supportive attitude towards Naomi, comes. And unbeknownst to her, the Lord directs her to the field of Boaz. I doubt that she could have landed in a better place in Bethlehem. This seems like a very nice community in a lot of ways. It seems like there was a lot of practical godliness. There was a lot of love and friendship among the people there. But Boaz stands out. Boaz was remarkable for his leadership in this regard. And one of the big emphases of chapter 2 is that Boaz was kind to Ruth. He was kind to her in many little details. He was kind to her in protecting her from being bothered or embarrassed by his own hired workers. He was kind to her in providing that she could drink from water that he had drawn for his workers, in sharing food with her, in making sure she had enough to take home to Naomi, in telling her where she could work the following day, and indeed all the days until the harvest was over. Boaz was kind to Ruth, and he was kind to Ruth in part because of his character, because he was a kind man, but in part also because he had heard of what Ruth had done. In other words, the report, the full report he had received of of Ruth's clinging to Naomi impressed him. He wanted to help somebody with that character. Now, we looked at his kindness last time we were in the book of Ruth, so I'm just going to say that by way of review and then move on. But what I really want to draw attention to most particularly is that phrase at the end of verse 12 where he says, A full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Now this is the perspective of Boaz, but given his character, I think we can take it that it's a true perspective, it's an accurate perspective. What was the meaning of Ruth's action in leaving her father and mother and country and coming back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law and now working hard to support her mother-in-law? What was the meaning of that? 
Well, of course, you could look at that and you could say, well, she sees a widow in need and she's going to stick with her. And obviously there was an element of that. There was an element of attachment to Naomi, as you can see in Ruth's great words from chapter 1, which we've considered before as well. Verse 16 of chapter 1, Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Now, that, uh, those are all promises made to Naomi. So we clearly can't leave Naomi out of the picture as though she didn't matter. In the concrete circumstances of Ruth's life, her kindness, her steadfast love showed up in this clinging to Naomi. Now, this is not necessarily a pattern for how people ought to think of their mothers-in-law. I I hope you love your mother-in-law if you have one. I hope you're kind to her and gracious to her. But it doesn't mean that in every case you have to prefer your mother-in-law to your actual mother or others on your side of the family. That's not the teaching of Ruth here. We have to situate Ruth. We have to place her in her context within the history of redemption. Now, you remember, of course, all of this is happening long before Christ. That's happening before David, because Ruth is David's great-grandmother. At that time, how did you seek the Lord? Well, for a large part of the world, the answer was you didn't. The world was lost, was consumed in idolatry, the worship of false gods. It's not to say there were not occasional witnesses, And, of course, the Moabites had some Abrahamic background since they're descended from Lot, and Lot knew about the promises made to Abraham, the rest of it. But at this time, the Moabites were not worshipers of the Lord. They had their own God whom they served. Well, their own fictitious God whom they served. But an Israelite family has been driven by famine in the Promised Land into Moab. They've become attached. The two sons got married to two Moabite young women. One of the Moabite young women, Orpah, turns back. She returns to her mother's house. She presumably returns to the worship of Chemosh. But one does not. One clings to to Naomi and moves to Israel. (coughs) Within the history of redemption, within what God has done at this point, that was how Ruth could seek the Lord. That was how she could draw near. When she says to Naomi, your people will be my people, she's not just saying that in general, no matter to what people Naomi belonged, she wants to become a part of the people of Israel. And when she says to Naomi, your God will be my God, she's not making an unlimited commitment to Naomi. If you apostatize tomorrow and serve a different God, well, I'll follow you there too. She's not offering to be a Baal worshiper, a Moloch worshiper, whatever kind of a worshiper, no matter what Naomi does. She knows who Naomi's God is. Naomi may have her her shortcomings, her flaws, and her defects, as all of God's people do. But Ruth knows who Naomi's God is. Even when Naomi says things to her daughters to discourage them, 
In whose name does she say it? She says, the Lord deal kindly with you, chapter 1, verse 8. The Lord grant that you may find rest. Even at that moment where she's saying goodbye to them, she continues to call upon the true God, upon Jehovah. So when Ruth says, your God will be my God, she's not saying whoever your God is will be my God. She's saying, your God, Jehovah, the Lord, he will be my God. So we understand Ruth's clinging to Naomi, not as Ruth signing her conscience over to Naomi for Naomi to do whatever she wanted with it. We recognize that as Ruth seeing that Naomi belonged to the people of God, that Naomi was a worshiper, however imperfect, of the true God. And that is what Ruth wants. She's not being forced to choose between loyalty to Naomi and loyalty to the Lord. Her loyalty to both go together. And, of course, that is often the situation. Now, I I recognize the Lord Jesus says, whoever doesn't hate father and mother and come after me is not worthy of me. There are times where, yes, we do have to choose between God and our family, between God and our nearest and dearest. And if that's the situation, I hope it's clear in everybody's heart and mind what we're going to choose. The Lord comes first. But most of the time, for a lot of us, the choice is not abandon our whole family to cling to the Lord. There might be issues with some family members, but for a lot of us in day-to-day life, loyalty to the Lord is expressed in loving kindness to family members. That's how, that's not the whole extent of it, but that's a large part of how we serve the Lord. Most days we serve the Lord by loving and caring for our own family members, not exclusively, but they certainly take up a lot of the time and space and energy that we have, and that's good. So for Ruth, there's not a conflict between loyalty to the Lord and loyalty to Naomi because Naomi is loyal to the Lord. Well, there's an example there for us. We should also strive to be the kind of people that people can be kind to us, they can be loyal to us, they can be around us, And that can be part of their service to the Lord. That can be part of them seeking God because when they're in our presence, when they're with us, we're encouraging them in that general direction. Now, you might think I'm over-interpreting chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. But if so, I'm over-interpreting them in good company because what did Boaz think about Ruth's leaving Moab and coming to Israel? Well, he explains it. He defines it in these words that she had come to find refuge or to trust under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. And notice how he spells out the full title, Jehovah, the God of Israel, the Lord God of Israel. He embeds that particularity to it. God was God of Israel in a way that God was not the God of Moab. Not that the Moabite gods could compete with the Lord, but that the Lord had not laid claim to Moab at that time in the way that he had laid claim to Israel. The Lord was not known in Moab the way the Lord was known in Israel. So at that stage in the history of redemption, for Ruth to leave her people and move to Israel with her mother-in-law, it was not just not even primarily about family dynamics. It was primarily about being converted, about coming from 
the non-people of God into the people of God about becoming a true worshiper of the Lord. And how is that described? It's described as taking refuge under the wings of the Lord God of Israel or trusting under the wings of the Lord God of Israel. The word for refuge and the word for trust are the same root. What has Ruth done? Well, in a way that is conditioned by her situation within the history of redemption, she has become a believer. She has turned from darkness to light. She has been converted. She has been saved. Boaz recognizes that. Well, there's a lesson there. When there are new converts, when somebody has just come to know the Lord. What a blessing if people who are seasoned and mature and experienced in the faith will come alongside and will encourage them with kindness, with kind words, and also with kind actions. You know, new believers are prone to a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of their previous life that still clings to them. They have a lot to learn. That's okay. We're not worried about where they are, per se. We're worried about what direction they're headed. And if somebody, even if they're only taking the first couple stumbling steps in the right direction, you know, if we're like, hey, you're not good enough. Hey, that's not how we do things here. We can discourage them. We can drive them away. We won't succeed in driving them away from the Lord if he belongs to them. But we could drive them away from worshiping and serving with us. So let's... Be kind. Let's be gracious. Let's be enthusiastic with new believers. Yes, they have a lot to learn. That's okay. It's wonderful that they're getting started in the Christian life. Let's embrace them. Let's receive them with thankfulness. And let's encourage them. Let's help them to take the next step and to do so joyfully. And not feeling like they're never going to measure up to our standards. That's not our place to do that. Our place is to be like Boaz, encouraging, recognizing the good qualities they have already exhibited and praising them for it. Spurgeon has a whole sermon on that theme from this particular passage. But now I really want to focus our attention on the meaning of taking refuge under the Lord's wing. The word in Hebrew for wing can refer to edge or border. In fact, it's used again in the book of Ruth. In chapter 3, verse 9, when Ruth is with Boaz in the threshing floor, she says to him, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, under the edge of your garment, for you are a close relative. We'll look at that in more detail when we come to chapter 3, Lord willing. But... Ruth came to take refuge under the Lord's wings. And in a little bit, she's going to ask Boaz to give her refuge under his wing. Well, that's a proposal of marriage. This is talking about a close, a warm, a loving connection where Ruth will become a part of the household. So what does it mean when you apply that to the Lord? Well, it means that Ruth has come 
to join the family of God, that she looks upon the Lord as her shelter, as her protector, that from by him, under his wings, she'll be sheltered from all of the dangers that are around. And of course, at this point, you could expand. Well, what sorts of dangers are there? Well, there's the danger of judgment, isn't there? There's the danger of being condemned for our sins. Where do we find refuge for that? We find refuge from God's justice under the wing of God's mercy. It's the only place. Who else could protect you from God's wrath and vengeance? Only God himself. So we flee to the Lord for refuge from condemnation. You could say that we flee to the Lord for refuge from danger. The world and the flesh and the devil are out to get us. Where could we possibly be safe? Well, who can protect us against enemies like that? Again, it is only the Lord. We think about the burdens, the heat of the day. We think about how the troubles and trials in this life bear down upon us and dehydrate us until we feel like we can barely move. Sometimes all of life feels like Death Valley right now in August. You need some shade. You need some shelter. Well, under the Lord's wings, you can find shelter from that. So the Lord taking refuge under the Lord's wings, trusting in the Lord, it means he's our protector. He's our guardian. It means we stick close to him. In order to be under his wings, we can't be a million miles away. We have to draw near. And that that joining of the idea of God's wing and the idea of taking refuge or trusting, because again, remember, those words are from the same root. That is used repeatedly in the Psalms, in Psalms written by Ruth's great-grandson, by King David. Now, there's a number of instances of this, but let me reference just four for now. First, we have Psalm 36. We have Psalms 36, 57, 61, and 91. And most of these verses, I think, are familiar. But let's just start with Psalm 36. In Psalm 36, verse 7, we read, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of of your wings. Now, those are key ideas. Loving kindness is a key idea in the book of Ruth. Trusting under the shadow of his wings is at a pivotal moment in the book of Ruth. This is when Boaz meets Ruth and he already knows something about her. He already knows that she has put her trust or that she has taken refuge under the shadow of the Lord's wings. When you put those things together, it's kind of hard to think that David didn't have the story of his great-grandmother in mind when he was writing Psalm 36. Why did Ruth seek out refuge under the Lord's wings? Because of his loving kindness. And why should we take refuge in the same place? Because the Lord is full of loving kindness. In other words, he is gracious. He is merciful. He receives those, even those who did not belong to his family, but those who draw near by faith, how joyfully he receives us, how willing he is to spread his wings over us. Next, we come to Psalm 57. Psalm 57, verse 1, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. That's the same word as takes refuge. 
And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. Well, here David is thinking about the problems, the difficulties, all the sources of stress in his life. And he draws near to God. In other words, taking refuge in the Lord is not just something you do at the moment of your conversion. And, oh, it's done. No need to do that again. Rather, it's a continuous. It's a lifelong. It's an ongoing practice. Again and again, we draw near to God and hide in the shadow, in the shelter of his wings. Or then again, Psalm 61, verse 4. David says, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. This is his response to having an overwhelmed heart, according to verse 3. His reasoning for doing this is that God has heard him, that God has listened to him. And so he trusts in the shelter of God's wings. And how does he do that? What's the parallel to that? Abiding in the tabernacle forever. In other words, seeking God in worship, in public worship, as it was practiced at that time. One of the ways we take refuge under the shelter of God's wings is simply by coming to church, by coming to church and not giving up on coming to church. Now, there's more to it than that. Obviously, people can come externally, physically, and not really take refuge under God's wings. But if that's where your trust is, if you're hoping in the Lord, if you're seeking shelter with God, then coming to church is going to be a part of that if you're able to. And then finally, Psalm 91 says, He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. And here the idea they're obviously particularizing, they're obviously making it more vivid by speaking not only of God's wings, but even of God's feathers. The comparison here is of God to a bird who shelters the little ones under the wings of the adult, the full-grown bird. Under his wings we take refuge and we're protected. We're safe from every kind of peril from every kind of danger. Well, those are the references where the idea of refuge or trust and the idea of taking shelter under God's wings are used together. Those are not the only references to taking shelter or trusting. They're not the only references to wings. Those are just the ones where the two concepts appear together as they do in Ruth chapter 2. But what does all of that say to us? Well, it says to us something about God. It says to us that because of God's loving kindness, we are in good shape to pray the prayer of Psalm 17, verse 8. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. When we feel distressed, when we feel sorrowful, when the reality of danger, of pressure, of distress is all around us, what can we say? We can say to God, hide me under the shadow of your wings. There's also a sort of a warning embedded in this theme. You might remember in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, Jesus was lamenting over Jerusalem, and he said to them, how often would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathereth her young? But what does he add? He says, and you would not. Ruth left her family. Ruth left her country to take shelter under God's wings. And yet many who were among the professing people of God refused the shelter of God's wings. 
And that's where it's important that the idea of taking refuge and the idea of trusting come from the same root word. How do you take shelter under God's wings? Well, you have to believe. You have to trust. Apart from faith, there is no sheltering under God's wings. Faith is what brings you underneath God's outstretched wings. It's not that God is harsh or unwelcoming. It's not that it's hard to get under his wings. His wings are outspread for you to come underneath. But you do have to believe. You do have to trust. And as we see in Matthew chapter 23, many who grew up hearing the word of God, who were included in the visible administration of the people of God, did not trust, did not believe, did not draw near. And yet Ruth, the Moabitess, the stranger, she did come. She did trust. Well, I hope the gospel application is evident. Everybody in the church, everybody outside of the church needs to hear the gospel and believe. You can't say, well, I grew up in the church. I don't need the gospel. I don't need to believe. That's false. You do need the gospel and you do need to believe individually for yourself. But it's not limited to those who grew up in the church. As it was for Ruth, the gospel goes out far and wide. We live in a different epoch in the period in the history of redemption. People don't need to leave their country in order to take shelter under God's wings, but they still need to believe. And so we need to tell them we need to spread the gospel far and wide so that people will take shelter under God's wings. Amen.